The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So I'm, I'm holding here in my hand the most coveted toy in the Barnes household right now. If you can't see from where you're sitting, this is a Play-Doh rolling pin. It is blue and purple. And it is not uncommon right now to see um, one of our two kids running with this away from the other child who's running after that child screaming to get access to this toy. And it's interesting, excuse me, it's interesting because um, this isn't the, the newest toy in our house. It's not the only toy in our house. It's, it's not the most expensive toy. It's definitely not the most high-tech toy in our house. I mean, there's some that have batteries and make all kinds of noises and lights and stuff like that. But um, for some reason, this toy has been assigned a disproportionate amount of value to what it actually is. And what's even more interesting is I've never actually seen either of my kids use this toy for what it was intended to be used for. Neither of them have, I've even demonstrated it for them. You've created a little like pile of Play-Doh and like, you know, made a little pancake with this rolling pin. It's not caught on, okay? They've never actually used this for what it was designed for, but there's a dynamic that happened between the two of them at some point, uh, clearly, where it kind of like built off each other and it kind of escalated the value of this. So I think what happened is when this was, was new, when it first entered into our house, um, one of them was playing with it and the other one, and didn't think much of it, but the other one wanted it, okay? And so reached for it. And in that moment, something clicked in the other one's mind that, wow, this is valuable. And so the more upset this one got that they didn't have the Play-Doh rolling pin, the more possessive the person who had the rolling pin became about it and realized, okay, this is valuable. And then eventually they got bored and they put it down and the other one went screaming across the room, picked it up, and then this person realized, whoa, I want that toy back. And now it's escalated. And in fact, um, I wanted to bring it as an object lesson this morning and it took me about 30 minutes to find it because one of them had hidden it from the other, okay? So uh, one of the things I, I think is interesting about children is you can watch children and uh, the, the more and more I'm around my kids, the more I realize they are not, despite what I'd like to think, they are not really that much different than adults. They just do on the outside what we are very sophisticated to hide on the inside. But they pretty much, it's all the same. We're, we've, we've probably not like evolved very much from where our kids are. We just know how to handle it in a socially appropriate way. We have a tendency to take things and assign disproportionate and kind of random value on different things, and, and that plays off of each other. And so in this series, what, what we're talking about, the series called Activate, is that there's a calling that each one of us have, and sometimes we feel this very strongly, that I just want to use this life for something that matters. 
Like, I, I just in the end, I don't want to have wasted this life. I, I just want to know that this life was used for something good, something bigger than me, that I just want to know that this life was used for something. And so we're going through this series, and we're talking about a very important category of our life, and we're in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, if you'd open to that book, let me give you a little background. If you weren't able to join us last week as we kicked off this series, um, first of all, I would encourage you to go back and watch that. It's on our, um, on our webs- website. Each one of these um, teachings in the series kind of build on each other, so you can go access part one. And basically what we started with is this first verse in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's where Paul, the seasoned pastor, is training Timothy, a young pastor. So this is kind of pastoral training, 1 Timothy. And in this point in the book, he says to, to Timothy, he says, I want to teach you how to minister to one particular segment under your span of influence. And so he starts off, and we looked at this last week, he says, as for those who are rich in this present age, he gave him three things to teach those who are rich in this present age. So what we did last week is we just stopped for a second and said, okay, before we can study this part of the Bible, we've got to define, okay, who are the rich of this present age? And despite what we initially think of when we think of the rich, we looked at it globally and what we discovered that if, is that if you're hearing this message, then you are within the, the most extreme wealthy of the entire planet. In fact, the extreme wealthy of the extreme wealthy, you are easily in the top 3 to 4% wealthiest in the world, probably in the top 1 to 2% wealthiest in the world. And so when we hear something like, hey, charge those who are rich in this present age, we should say, okay, he's, he's speaking to us. And so he said three things. He said the first thing is teach them not to be haughty, not to be prideful, not to say, I deserve this. This is, this is mine. If you were more like me, you'd have this. But in fact, to realize, wow, this is a, a blessing that I'm here. In fact, um, I, I, I really, I, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have this gift. Second thing is he says, charge them not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. And we talked about what we all know, but we just kind of need to be reminded of. Um, he says the uncertainty of riches, riches, wealth, money, possessions, they, are, they do not bring certain security. It's not a guaranteed security if you have more money. Money can be here one day and gone the next by no fault of your own, by things completely outside of your control. Second thing is he says um, have no uncertainty in riches. So the other part of that is riches do not buy happiness. We know that. Money doesn't buy happiness but we have to be reminded of that sometimes. Our happiness is not connected to the amount of stuff that we have. And the third thing that he said, he says, um, help them not to be prideful, help them, not to, help them to remember the uncertainty of riches and remember to put their hope in God who's the one that provided it all. Provided it all. And to remember that it is, is God who is the provider and that leads us to say, okay, God, you've given us this tremendous resource then. It, it, I don't deserve it. it it's not going to bring, it's, it's not certainty. It's not going to for sure bring me security and happiness and it's really from you anyway. So how can I leverage this resource for you? And it brings us to that question. And so here's where we're at in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to go back to verse 6 this morning, if you look at verse 6 in your Bible or your Bible app, or it's also going to be up here on the screens. Here's what it says. But godliness with contentment 
is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now just hang there with me for a second and just hear what he said. The first thing I want you to see is he said, godliness with contentment, he said, is great gain. I want you to hear very clearly what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, I know it's unpleasant. I know it's restrictive. I know it's not fun. I know it reduces your enjoyment. But man, it's what it means to be godliness, godly. It's what it means to be virtuous. It's it's what it means to be pious and holy. It's what it means to be a good Christian. You should have godliness and contentment. That's not what he says. He said, godliness with contentment, he said, is great gain. So the first thing to, to frame what he's saying, he's saying, this is for your own good. Like understanding how contentment works with godliness, saying that's for your benefit. He says, that's great gain to you. You want to understand that. That is how you'll thrive. That's how you'll enjoy this life. He says, godliness with contentment, that is gain for you. Let me, I'm trying to help you, he says. He says, um, contentment with godliness. So let's take this word contentment and let's break it up. Well, what does that mean, the word contentment? Let's define it. Contentment, it, it means being satisfied. It means just stopping for a second. And there's a sense in which it means um, to stop striving for a second and to just be satisfied. In fact, one scholar in a a Greek dictionary defining that original word there, he, he put it like this, and I thought this was profound. He says, contentment is freedom from want. Think about that with me for a second. Contentment is freedom. It's like your, your chains are off. You've taken off the handcuffs. You're, you've taken off the straitjacket. You've taken off refinement. You've broken out of the jail cell. You've, you've fled from the prison. You're no longer enslaved, captured. It's freedom. Well, what was capturing you? What, 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 had, um, what is oppressing you? It's freedom out from under what? Out from under want. That gnawing craving, insatiable desire that if I just had that, if I just went there, if I just did that, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could get just, just on that, 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 that want, that desire, that insatiable, cyclical, continuous desire. He's saying contentment frees you from that because that enslaves you. Want enslaves you. It oppresses you. It restrains you. So in other words, contentment is when I, I break out of the chains of want and I stop striving and I look and I decide to be satisfied. So let's put it like this. If you're a note taker, write down this definition of contentment. Think of it like this. Contentment, contentment is not something you chase. Contentment is something you choose. Contentment's not something you chase. It's not that, okay, I'm after contentment. I, I want to be satisfied. And well, if I had that, I'd be satisfied. Man, how satisfied would I be if I had that? Or if I purchased that? Or if I went there? Or if I got that? Or if I achieved this? Contentment is like, it's not if you chase it. If it's on the horizon and you're running to get it on the horizon, it will always be on the horizon and you'll never get it. If you're chasing it, you will always be chasing it. 
The moment you get there, it's like a mirage. This is how it works. It's like, oh, well, I, I didn't realize I was, I was thirsty, but now I, I see that pool out there, and now I, I am thirsty, and I run out to the horizon, and I look down, and there's no pool there. So I, I look out, and the farther I'm running, the more thirsty I'm getting, and I never get to that mirage. He's saying want is oppressive. It's a, it, it captures us. And contentment frees us from that prison cell, and contentment is where I stop, and I look around, and I choose. I'm satisfied. I make the decision. This is enough. This is good enough. This, where I'm at right now, I'm content. And he says something interesting. He bolsters that up. He says, for you, you didn't bring anything into this world, and you're not going to take anything out of this world. And that is so unbelievably profound because it's reminding us that this world, we're just passing through. This is just temporary, right? This is temporary and you're not taking anything with you. It, there's so, so profound here. It's reminding us that, that this is actually not our home, that we're beings that will live for eternity I mean, that stretches our faith, but it's true. We will live for eternity that this isn't our home, which means that, that my self-worth is not based on how much I amass here because this is not my home. I, I am something eternal, so my value, my worth, my life shouldn't be defined by what I accomplish here. I matter more, I mean more than just the stuff I compile here. What we brought into the world, we're not taking with us. He says contentment, contentment is a choice. It's not something to chase. If you chase it, you'll never get it. You'll always be unsatisfied, and you'll be imprisoned by want. Break out of the chains, he says. Break out of those chains and choose contentment. Okay, now if you're like me, I'm asking the question, okay, Paul, I hear you, but I mean, what's like the floor of contentment? Like, like what's like the bottom line, like, I mean, these are essentials, okay? Like, these are the basic needs. Like, okay, at very least, I'll be content, but I at least have to have certain things. Like, I at least have to have a grande hazelnut no-foam latte, okay? I mean, let's just talk basic essentials here, okay? All right, fine, a tall, okay, hazelnut no-foam latte. I mean, beyond that, okay, I mean, if I don't have that, we're getting crazy talk here, okay? So what's, what's like the floor of contentment? You know what I love about this passage? Paul defines it. He says, okay, I'll tell you the basic. If you have this, then you're in a place you can be content. Look at verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I don't know about you, but that pushes me a little bit. I didn't hear anything about Starbucks in that verse, okay? I was expecting at least like wireless internet or something is going to be in there like the basics, Okay. Uh, I don't know if this ever has happened to you, okay, but uh, a couple years ago, it was August, and the AC in my car went out. Did I mention it was in August? Okay. I drove like five minutes away, and I lost 15 pounds, all right? And I remember like getting to the other end, and I'm like, I have an honest question for some scientist, okay? How did humanity survive for so many years without air conditioning, okay? Like, basic fundamental needs. What Paul says is, here's fundamentals. Okay, if you, uh, he says, okay, I, I understand. Fair question. What's the floor? We have some basic needs. He says, food and clothing. 
Did you notice shelter was not even in there? Food and clothing. Not like food and nice clothing. Fancy clothing. Not just like nice food. Food and clothing. He says, okay, if you have that, he's like, if you're missing one of those, I can understand. You, all right, he says, fair enough, you're missing food or clothing. You can struggle with discontentment. If you have food or clothing, anything beyond that, you are on a platform to say, I have enough. I can be satisfied. Man, what pushes me about, so, about that so much is there are so many things that I put into the need category. We have a huge, huge portion of our vocabulary that goes at the other end of this sentence. I need. We have a lot of things that we have put in the need category, and Paul just defined it. He says, okay, I get it. Let's define need. Food and clothing. Shelter optional. Food and clothing. That's the need. If you've got those things, you're in a position. He says, with those, we can be content. But he keeps going. This is a really, you've got to hear these next couple verses. This is very straightforward. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now watch this. Look carefully what this says. For money is the root of all evil. Is that what it said? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You ever heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil? Has anyone ever heard that? You know where that allegedly comes from? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Is that what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says? You've got to see what this is saying really closely. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Is money evil? Money's not evil. In fact, this is pretty key. Money's neutral. Money's not good or bad. If you have money, okay, or don't have money, Having money or not having money does not move the needle of holiness. Being impoverished is not a sign of holiness necessarily. Being wealthy is not a sign of holiness. Um, having money or not having money does not move the needle of happiness. Not having money or having money, it doesn't move that needle in either direction. It, it's neutral. Um, ha having money or not having money does not move the needle on your self-worth. Money's neutral. In fact, the scripture talks about money can be a blessing. God may bless you with money. But money, on the other hand, can also be a great danger. Money's neutral. Money is not the root of evil. Scripture's very clear. Evil comes out of our hearts. It depends on what our hearts are doing with money. It depends on whether it's a blessing or whether it's something that can be very damaging. And what this says, actually, this is talking about the dangers of money. In this book, um, The Treasure Principle, there's this really interesting section where he lists things that Solomon said about money. Solomon 
you want to know what Solomon said about money because he's probably the, one of the wealthiest few men of his day. I mean, one of the wealthiest on planet Earth when he was alive. He had a lot of money, maybe one of the wealthiest kings in the history of Israel. And he had some things to say about money. And, and there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes that he wrote, and he listed some things. And I want you to hear what Solomon himself, I'm going to read you what Solomon himself said about money. He says this, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Solomon, here's what he said. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. He says this, as goods increase, this is interesting, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. In other words, this is what Solomon's saying. The more you have, the more people will come after it. Boy, that's true, isn't it? Solomon, I think, knew something about that. He said this, Solomon, this is Solomon speaking about this, and he, he would know. He said, what benefit are they, meaning riches, what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? In other words, Solomon is saying, the more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. Solomon said this, he said, this is so fascinating. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Solomon, one of the wealthiest men in history, he said this, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Here's what Solomon said. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. In other words, the more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Solomon said, or wealth lost through misfortune, the more you have, the more you have to lose, in other words. Now listen to this. This is what Solomon himself said about wealth. Naked a man came from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Does that sound familiar? In other words, the more you have, the more you'll leave behind. What this passage is saying is saying, money's neutral. Can be a blessing. But there is a great warning because it can lead to a lot of problems. It, it's, there's a danger in wealth. And you said, okay, good to know. One day if I get really wealthy, then I'll, I'll take note. <laughs> you are really wealthy. So take note. Wealth brings about all kinds of dangers. It says this, it says it is a snare. Did you notice in that, in that verse we read? It is a snare or it is a trap. It will capture you. It says this, this is so profound. It brings about so many senseless, it said this, senseless and harmful desires. What the love of money does is it places desires in us that are senseless and harmful. Maybe you've had this happen to, to you before. One uh, evening, it was a little after nine o'clock, Rebecca and I were, were sitting on the couch, the television was on, and all of a sudden this commercial came on, and it was this slow panning close-up moving across a piping hot pizza. <laughs> and the mozzarella cheese is just starting to bubble up on top, and I, I see the, the crispy pepperoni, and I see this, this steam wafting off. I can, I can smell it from the television. 
this crusty, doughy bread, and it was like spatula as if coming from heaven comes down. <laughs> and it's lifting up a piece, and every pizza commercial does this. It's lifting up a piece, and it's like those mozzarella strands will go till eternity, okay? They're just, <laughs> just keep going. There's no end to that mozzarella, okay? And I'm thinking, they're serving that piece just for me, okay? And I look at my wife, and I say, I'm going to go to the pizza store right now, okay? And I did, okay? I've done that. I couldn't take it. All right, now what just happened? I was fine. I wasn't hungry. I'd had dinner. I was sitting there content. I was happy, okay? And what happened? A sizzling pizza comes across the television. Half of you are going to get pizza for lunch now that you've heard this, Okay? What does, this is what our culture does. Our culture, this is, this is quintessential what the culture we live in does. It intentionally, not subconsciously, intentionally, consciously obliterates contentment. It wants to take the things that we're, we're satisfied. And it wants to say, well, you're satisfied because you don't see this. You need this. If you had this, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not satisfied. I want that. It breeds discontentment. It dangles things that says, I am not content. It, it breeds this dissatisfaction. So we begin chasing satisfaction, chasing contentment. There was a, a brilliant marketing um, plan for Hallmark, the Hallmark greeting card many years ago. I don't know if any of you remember this, but I vividly remember this. This is many years ago now, but it was a commercial, and there's a guy, and he's at the, the card store, and you don't know what brand it's for, but, but um, he's going there, and he's picking out a card, and there's music playing, and he sees the card. He's like, this is the right card, and then he goes to the restaurant. There's this beautiful young woman there, and he walks up, and he hands her this card, and she opens it up, and she reads it, and she's just stirred almost to tears, and then she does this. She closes the card and checks the back, does anyone remember this commercial? They, she checks the back to find out what brand the card was. And in this series of commercials, if it was a Hallmark card, she's like, he did good. Okay, way, way to go. If it wasn't a Hallmark card, she was offended, okay? And what that, it was brilliant. Okay, if you work for Hallmark, okay, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to offend you, okay? But what they did is they created greeting card snobs out of all of us. We never before thought about the brand of the card. I mean, it's ridiculous to think. I mean, all greeting cards are essentially the same. They're all card stock folded in half, a pretty picture on the front, a cheesy poem on the inside <laughs> that you never actually read that poem, okay? You just wait for a few seconds and then read what they wrote, all right? <laughs> cheesy poem on the inside. And somehow, like, they've told us, but this one's worth $7 and this one's worth $1. And, and it's senseless, but we have assigned greater value, randomly greater. We have elicited in our culture from each other. We've played off of each other until we assign disproportionate value to things that are random. You know what we've done? We have something, I mean, it's just a thing, but for some reason we've played off each other till we realize, okay, this is, we've added disproportionate value to things 
and created that in our minds, this is something I have to have. Let me give you a a real-life example. Go ahead and pull up that picture of actual rolling pins. Okay, look at this. I I want you to see this picture. I'm comparing these two because you, you can actually, I found these online. You can buy one of those for $5 and the other one for $105. Now, some people out there are like really passionate about their rolling pins, okay? And if you are, I'm not digging, you, digging on you here, but think about this. What we do is our culture draws us out, so we say, I need that. That has a disproportionate amount of value. I think that is going to make me happy and satisfied, and I chase it rather than just stopping and saying, look what I have. Thank you. It's enough. Look at, I want to jump down to verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me read verse 17. We looked at this last week. I want you to see something again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to, what's that word right there? Provides us with everything to enjoy. Can you hear what God is saying to you today? He's not saying to you, I want you to enjoy stuff a little less. He's not saying to you, enjoy, you enjoy stuff too much. He's not saying to you, hey, I'm trying to restrict your fun. He's not saying that. He's saying you don't know how to enjoy stuff. Let me teach you. He's saying you have things and you don't even know how to use it. You don't even know what it's used for. He's saying I, the things that you have are a blessing. The problem is it's like a child opening presents on, on Christmas morning and is oh, tearing off the wrapping paper. This one sees it, tosses it aside and goes and looks for another one. Stop and enjoy it. It's God, your Father. He's saying to you, I I want you to enjoy. Let me teach you how to enjoy. Contentment is not something you can chase. You will never get it. You will live a life of perpetual dissatisfaction. When if you have food and clothing, you have enough to stop and say, wow, God, thank you. You have poured abundant blessings. He's saying, I'm sending you out to go enjoy your stuff. Enjoy what he's given you. Let me, he says, let me teach you how to enjoy it. Be content. Here's a challenge for us this morning. We're going to have some homework, two things. Um, the first thing is I want to challenge you to go to, to pick up this book, The Treasure Principle, like we, we talked about. I want you to pick this up. It's a companion to this series. What we're talking about, these very things of contentment, these are the things that that this book digs even deeper than we can do in, in this uh, series. And so I want you to, this companion, I want you to pick that up. But here's the second thing. Here's the challenge. You have homework. I want you to take 20 minutes this week, and I want you to take a walk around your home. 20 minutes. This is not like you can sit down and do a mental walk, okay? I want you to like a physical stand up and walking around and actually do a walk, okay? 20 minutes, and I want you to take a walk. And instead of going around and making a list of all the things that are broken and need to be fixed, outdated and you wish they were upgraded, 
all the things that are now in your mind old, all the things that you wish were different, all the things that aren't perfect, essentially all the things you're dissatisfied with. Don't do that. Take 20 minutes. Actual do this. It's not theoretical. I want you to actually do this. Walk around your home. Take 20 minutes and just thank God for what he's given you. Just take a walk. Wow, God, you've given me a lot more than just food food and clothing. Thank you that I have a, a shelter. Wow, God, look at what you've I remember when you blessed me with that. I, I've forgotten. Thank you. I let my gratitude kind of wear off. But thank you. That's awesome. God, thank you. I, I look around and I've got five, 10, 25 sources of clean water flowing into my house. And there's some villages of thousands of, of people that don't have one. Wow, God, thank you. And just stop and choose contentment. He's saying, I'm not just telling you that to, because that's the godly thing to do. He's saying, there's great gain if you do that. Great gain. You may for the first time enjoy my blessings. You may for the first time enjoy the present you just unwrapped for the first time. You may for the first time let yourself out of that cage of want, that cage of materialism, that cage that says, well, if I had that, then I'd be satisfied. Or if we could do this or upgrade this or get the new this, then I'd be satisfied. Just stop and say, this is enough. Take 20 minutes and just take a thankfulness walk. But here's the challenge. That should be a starting place of changing our hearts to see his blessings differently. In this book, The Treasure Principle, there's really fascinating correlation that he, he talks about. And he talks about um, King Tut. Now, King Tut, the exhibit was down here um, in South Florida. It was in Fort Lauderdale several years back. And um, it, King Tut is an unbelievable, that tomb, an unbelievable archaeological find. I mean, it was filled with treasures. And it, it, King Tut was a, a young king that when he passed away, and their beliefs were they would pack these tombs filled with treasures so that he could take it into the afterlife. I mean, it was unbelievable. They say literally tons of gold were found in this, in these tomb, in this tomb. In fact, just the coffin that King Tut was buried in, just the coffin itself was made of solid gold and it weighed 250 pounds, 250 pounds of solid gold, this coffin filled with all kinds of treasures. But he makes this correlation. He said you could actually travel not too far from where King Tut was buried. You could travel to another place in Egypt and you'd find another tomb. It was also of a young man. His name is William Borden. And he died in about 1913. And he he tells the story of William Borden. Two tombs in Egypt, one King Tut and one this guy named William Borden, this young man. And he says that he was born in America to unbelievable wealth. So I'll give you an idea of the wealth he was born into. As a graduation present, when he graduated from high school, his parents gave him a trip around the world as a graduation present. Now that'd be a pretty nice gift today. Can you imagine how nice of a gift that is at the turn of the century? And while he's on that trip, and he's seeing all these cultures, and he's seeing all these people in tremendous need, God did something in his heart and he wrote home on the trip saying that he realized God was calling him to be a missionary. 
And he came back, his life totally changed. He went to Yale, and there's stories about how he was just lit on fire for God in his college years, and he pr practically lit that campus on fire for God, and he, just, he became just so devoted to this call to those that were needy throughout the world. He started giving huge uh, sums of money away, and eventually he left on the mission field. He ended up in Egypt. He did not live an opulent life. He was down with the, living with the people that were there and sharing the gospel, and he was on the mission field for four months, and four months in, he contracted spinal meningitis and died. He's 25 years old. And you can read, you could go there today in Cairo, and you could see his grave. And, and here's what's on his grave. It's written here. It says this, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. What I think is even more interesting is, is written in his Bible. He had three phrases written in his Bible in the back that he wrote. First one was, no reserve, then no retreat. And then right at the end of his life, he wrote in, no regret. Two tombs, just a few miles from each other. Two young men, but their graves say something wildly different about them. And it stems from what they believe. One thought they could take all this amassed wealth into the next life. And one knew that I'm just passing through. The real value is my eternity. Let me leave you with this thought. For some here, you may say, okay, I, I'm, I, I, when it comes to planning and preparing, I prepare for the future, retirement or savings or, or this or that. I, I prepare for the future. But if there's one thing you could invest in and prepare for, it's your eternity. What could be more important to prepare for than that? And all these other things that we plan, we, kinda, we kind of have an idea of when they're going to happen, but do you realize the, the reality is you have no idea the moment where you will enter into eternity and stand before God. Are you prepared for that? You say, okay, so what you're saying is that I, I, need, I need to be more generous so I can get to heaven. No, absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. The, the epitaph on that tomb did not say there's no explanation for a life like this except generosity. That's not what it said. The only way to get to heaven is to realize, not to be generous to others, but to realize how unbelievably generous God has been to you and that he's actually offering you a gift, and you just need to receive it. This is how generous. He took the greatest treasure in the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he looked down at us, and he saw that we had a debt that we couldn't pay. Our sin deserved the wrath of God. Every one of us deserve an eternity away from God because of our sin. But he gave the greatest treasure, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he died on a cross to pay that debt for us, to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. And he says, I'm just offering that payment for your sins as a gift. The greatest act of generosity in the history of the universe. And he's saying, all you have to do is just receive that gift and you know that you're saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You can know for certain that you will have eternal life if you just simply receive that gift of what Jesus did for you on the cross.
Can I give you a moment now, and maybe you're there and you want to receive that gift. Now I just want to lead you in a prayer. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Today I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. If that's you, then just simply right there in your seat between you and God, make this prayer your prayer to God. Just right there in your heart, just simply say, God, thank you for sending that incredible gift for me. Thank you for saving me. I received that gift. I know Jesus paid for my sin, and now I give you back my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.